way forever. Amen. Good morning and Happy New Year. Uh, my name is Owen. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time today, welcome to our church. We're so glad that you're here. Or maybe today's the first time in a long time. In that case, welcome back. Welcome home. We're so glad that you're here. And maybe uh, attending church regularly is a New Year's resolution for you, and that's why you're here. If that's the case, I commend you. It's a great resolution, and I hope that you'll be able to keep that resolution uh, for the well-being and for the best. So the ministry theme of this year is walking as children of light, pursuing truth and beauty in a time of confusion and distortion. Beginning in the spring, beginning in March, we're going to discuss some of the distortion and confusion that we see in our culture, particularly on issues related to sexuality and gender identity. But before we look at the confusion and distortion in the culture, I first want to look at and address a serious and sad distortion that we and that is the reality of spiritual abuse in the church. So for the month of January, I'm going to preach a short sermon series uh, addressing this difficult and awkward uh, topic. Um, Again, uh, spiritual abuse, it's an uncomfortable topic. It may even be a triggering topic for you, especially if you experience some spiritual abuse in your past or maybe in some form even at our church. So why a sermon series on spiritual abuse? Uh, let me give you first. It's an important and relevant uh, issue. Sadly, spiritual abuse happens a lot in churches. In fact, it feels like it's a rampant in churches nowadays. And recently, it seems like more and more pastors are stepping down from ministry and leaving their churches because of spiritual abuse, and they leave their churches shattered and in shambles. Uh, pastor and author Sam Alberry said this, while domineering pastors aren't a new problem, they do seem to be more and more evident in the West. Here's the second reason why we're doing this. It's so that our church might be educated on this issue so that we might resist spiritual abuse at our church. Um, spiritual abuse happens not only when pastors and elders abuse their position and power to, to abuse the church, but also when the church allows that to happen. Sadly, it's very common for churches to have cultures that allow and even cover up spiritual abuse in the name of protecting the reputation of the church, in the name of continuing, or sometimes even in the name of grace, saying, well, that pastor did so much good for the kingdom. Let's show grace. Let's not make a big deal out of it. Let's just let's kind of move on. You know, um, Christ Central, uh, we cannot sit passively and just hope that spiritual abuse doesn't happen at our church. And if and when it does, we dare not sweep it under the rug and move on as if it happened. You know, every pastor, every elder is sinful and broken, and every pastor and every elder is capable of being spiritually abusive. Even pastors who seem so gentle, like Pastor Albert or Pastor Bobby, even they are capable of spiritually uh, of being abusive. I know some of you, like Pastor Owen, it's obvious he can be spiritually abusive, right? I, I, I'll be very honest. It, this is a very dangerous sermon series for me to preach because I know I'm candidate number one. 
to commit spiritual abuse, right? Um, and, and so as a church family, as pastors, as elders, and as members, we all need to work together to intentionally and actively work toward a culture in our church where spiritual abuse is not only recognized, resisted, and held accountable if it happens, but also to pursue a culture of goodness, a culture where we're encouraging one another to become more like Christ. Because if we become a church where each member is becoming more like Jesus, won't happen. And it takes all of us to do that, not just a few of us, but all of us from top to bottom to pursue a culture of goodness. Uh, here's a preview of the sermon series. Sermon one today will deal with the reality of spiritual abuse. And sermons two and three over the next two weeks uh, will uh, we'll deal with um, uh, how we can practically resist spiritual abuse at our church. And because we're dealing with a very sensitive and controversial topic, uh, we do want to have a time of question and answer. Sunday of January at 12.30 p.m. in the large multipurpose room. There you can ask any questions about any of the sermons that were preached, any other questions that weren't addressed in the sermons, but it's related to spiritual abuse. And we do want to have a time and a space where we can have this very important and necessary conversation together as a church. You can register for it on the Church Center app, and the registration fee will include lunch. So the first sermon in this series is called The Reality of Spiritual Abuse in the Church. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 1 to 5. And our text today uh, just lays out beautifully the kind of pastors and elders that Jesus, the chief shepherd, wants his churches uh, to have. So people of God, this is the beautiful word of our God. Would you please give it your careful attention? So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You know, there are a few things that upset and anger people more than the abuse of power. We all hate it when people who are in positions of power abuse their power to, for selfish gain or selfish pleasure. The king who abuses his power to do whatever he wants to his subjects, to take advantage of them, to harm them when they're powerless to resist, like a King Joffrey in Game of Thrones or even a King David, what he did to Bathsheba. Or the CEO or the employer who abuses his power to defraud his employees for personal wealth and gain, or to unjustly fire someone and to cost them their livelihood. Or the police officer who abuses his power to harm or even kill someone who's already been neutralized and is vulnerable and no longer a threat. Or the coach who abuses his power uh, 
to take advantage of a student athlete under his care, or the parent who abuses his or her power to verbally, emotionally, physically, and even sexually abuse their child. Few things make us angrier and more upset than when people in positions of power abuse their power for selfish gain and selfish pleasure, when they harm the very people that they're meant to support, protect, and serve with their power. And abuse of power is even more repulsive when it happens in the church, when pastors and elders abuse their power to harm the very people that they're called to shepherd and to serve and to love. So here's the outline for today's teaching. First, um, the definition of spiritual abuse. Second, the damages of spiritual abuse. And third, the remedy for spiritual abuse. Let's first uh, begin by defining spiritual abuse. Michael Kruger, in his excellent book, Bully Pulpit, uh, offers this uh, definition. Spiritual abuse is when a spiritual leader such as a pastor, elder, or the head of a Christian organization, wields his position of spiritual authority in such a way that he manipulates, domineers, bullies, and intimidates those under him as a means of maintaining his own power and control, even if he is convinced he is seeking biblical and kingdom-related goals. To abuse someone means to mistreat or to harm someone. And a person can be abused in, in, in many different ways, um, verbally, physically, emotionally, psychologically, financially, and even sexually. And an, abu an, an abusive relationship is a relationship in which someone is exploiting their power in that relationship to take advantage of the other person or to harm the other person. And spiritual abuse can also be verbal, physical, emotional, psychological, financial, and sexual, but it's done through a spiritual relationship, meaning a person with spiritual authority and power, like a pastor or an elder, who leverages their position, who leverages their power to exploit another person's trust or vulnerability. Now, if you're on social media, I'm sure you've come across some of the tragic headlines. Uh, toxic and abusive pastors and Christian leaders who take advantage of their power to take advantage of those that they're supposed to shepherd and serve. Uh, Bill Hybels uh, abused his spiritual position and power as a pastor to commit sexual misconduct towards several women that worked with him at Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago. And then he abused that power further by accusing his accusers of being liars and malcontents, totally slandering them. Mark Driscoll abused his spiritual position and power as pastor to bully, domineer, and shame the people who worked for him and with him at Mars Hills Church in, in Seattle. And this spiritual abuse is well chronicled in a popular podcast by Christianity Today called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Min Chung, some of you know who he is, abused his spiritual position and power as pastor to sexually mistreat a woman at his church. Uh, Covenant Fellowship Church in Urbana. And then he further abused his power to cover it up for nearly 20 years until it was all recently publicly exposed on an Instagram account. Uh, 
these tragic stories are documented and public on the internet, and yet I can tell you so many more stories like them. In fact, there are many pastors that I know personally, pastors that are friends of mine, who've had to step down from ministry because they committed some form of spiritual abuse. And there are pastors of both larger churches and smaller churches. You see, spiritual abuse is not just a problem that happens in larger churches, but it happens in churches of all sizes. And also, it's not just pastors with strong personalities, intense personalities, who are prone to anger, who can be spiritually abusive. Even soft-spoken pastors who are calm, who never raise their voice, they too can be spiritually abusive with their passive aggressiveness and their ability to deceive and to manipulate people. You see, toxic and spiritually abusive pastors come in all shapes, all sizes, and all styles. And the reality of spiritual abuse in the church is not new. It's been there from the very beginning. It's been happening ever since sin entered into the world and broke and ruined our world. In the Old Testament, Israel, the people of God, had sinful spiritual leaders who spiritually abused and neglected them. In Ezekiel chapter 34, God accused and condemned the spiritual leaders, the kings and the priests of Israel for their spiritual abuse and neglect. Listen to what God said. Thus says the Lord, uh, the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled over them. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand, and put a stop to their feeding on the sheep. The shepherds of Israel, the kings and the priests, they abused the people of God. Instead of feeding them, they fed themselves upon them. Instead of caring for them, they consumed them. Instead of healing them, they injured them. They spiritually abused and neglected the people of God, and God was against them. Now, if you're a spiritual leader, if you're a pastor or an elder, uh, can there be any more terrifying thought than this? That God himself is against you because you have abused the people of God. Because of sin, spiritual abuse has been a sad and tragic reality in the church from the very beginning, and it still is today. Second, let's consider the damages of spiritual abuse. You know, I think there's a tendency... Uh, especially among the older generations, uh, among boomers and Gen Xers, who were raised, like me, to believe that toughness was a virtue, uh, older folks have a hard time taking spiritual abuse seriously. On more than one occasion, as I was talking to some older people about spiritual abuse, uh, they have uh, rolled their eyes at me and said, Oh, those millennials and Gen Z, they're so soft. Whatever hurts their feelings is abuse nowadays. Boo-hoo-hoo. They all need to toughen up. And mind you, it's not just the older men who said that. I've heard actually older, more older women say something like that more than the men. We have some tough women at our church. And honestly, maybe some of you 
feel that way. Maybe some of you think that way, right? But you just know it's not PC to say otherwise. But we all need to take spiritual abuse more seriously because the damages that spiritual abuse causes is so serious. First, there is great damage, great damage that is done to the victims of spiritual abuse. Victims of spiritual abuse suffer from emotional and psychological damage. Um, They struggle with fear. Uh, They fear retaliation from the abusive pastor. They fear the ruining of their reputation. They fear the loss of their job if they're employed by the church. They fear uh, being alienated by their friends and the other church members if they don't believe them and rather side with the abusive pastor. And they also struggle with anger. Spiritual abuse victims often report deep and intense anger that they've never, ever experienced before. Anger at the abuser, anger at the church's leadership for letting the abuse happen, anger um, at friends who have betrayed them, anger at people who don't believe them, anger about the lies and the disparaging remarks that are made about them because they blew the whistle on the abuser, and anger at the lack of justice and accountability. And here's the thing, there's also great anger at themselves. They say, why didn't I see that coming? How could I let that happen? How could I let myself become a victim? And they're so angry at themselves for being victimized. They also struggle with shame, especially if the abuse was sexual. They feel dirty, used, worthless. And they even struggle with guilt, even though it was not their fault. And so they struggle with depression. The combination of fear, anger, and shame often leads to depression. Um, Because of what happened to them, they feel like life is meaningless and there's no justice. And in fact, life isn't even worth living anymore. So many victims of spiritual abuse have contemplated suicide. And in addition to the emotional and psychological damages, there is also spiritual damage. Victims of spiritual abuse begin to have doubts about the church. One of the most common things that come out of the mouth of a spiritual abuse victim is, I'm never, ever going to go back to church again. Never. Right? And some victims stay away from the church for a long time. Some never return to the church, even if they still believe in the Christian faith. Now, they may still have faith in Christ, but they have zero faith in pastors, zero faith in leaders, zero faith in the institution of the church, and they grow very cynical. Victims of spiritual abuse also struggle with doubts, not just regarding the church, but also regarding the Christian faith itself. Victims often testify how they now struggle to believe what they once used to believe. And even if they know that their abusive pastor or abusive church leader is is separate from Christ, it's still hard to separate the two. And they struggle with questions like this. If God is real, then why would God allow this kind of abuse that happened to me in his church? If Christianity is true, then why do abusive pastors and churches who protect abusive pastors treat the victims so cruelly, so carelessly, with zero compassion? See, some victims don't just walk away from the church. They walk away from Christ altogether. And that's tragic tragic. There is also great damage done to the perpetrators of spiritual abuse, to the spiritual abusers themselves. 
the spiritual abusers are in the greatest danger as committing spiritual abuse will literally kill their spirits. Nothing distorts and ruins and degrades a pastor more than committing spiritual abuse against the people of God. And worst of all, God himself is against them. Jesus said that it is better for a spiritual leader to tie a millstone around his neck and throw himself into the heart of the ocean than to cause one of his children to stumble. Better that you die than you do that. And unless spiritual abusers confess their abuse and repent of their wicked ways, unless they turn to Christ in desperate need for mercy and forgiveness, I can tell you this, they will face the wrath of God in hell. The victims of spiritual abuse may be in pain, but the perpetrators of spiritual abuse, they are in serious danger, in danger of perishing in the pit of hell forever. There is also great damage to the witness of the church. You know, nothing discredits, nothing brings more shame upon a church than the crass hypocrisy of spiritually abusive pastors and leaders. Nothing turns off non-believers more from the church than toxic and abusive pastors who abuse their position and power for selfish gain and pleasure. Stories of spiritual abuse reinforce the negative stereotype that pastors are hucksters and charlatans who use religion to amass personal wealth, power, and fame. Early church father John Christosom made this sad but true statement centuries ago. He wrote, Christians damage Christ's cause more than his enemies and foes. Sadly, that is true. So the damages caused by spiritual abuse are immense for the victims of abuse, for the perpetrators of abuse, and for the witness of the church. Third and lastly, let's consider something more hopeful. Let's consider the remedy for spiritual abuse. In the same Ezekiel passage, chapter 34, God later on promised... After condemning the false shepherds, he promised that he himself would be the remedy to spiritual abuse, that he himself would be the true shepherd that his people needed. This is what God said, starting from verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them. I myself will be the shepherd of my, uh, of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. God promised that he himself would be the shepherd that his people longed for, that his people needed. And God kept that promise when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the true shepherd of his people. Listen to what Jesus said so beautifully in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Our Lord Jesus said this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Church, in Jesus, we have our true shepherd. Jesus is our true shepherd who protects us and who never abuses us. Jesus is our true shepherd who feeds us and who never feeds upon us. Jesus is our true shepherd who heals us and who never harms or injures us. You see, in Jesus, our true shepherd, we have one who is gentle, uh, tender, and kind, never harsh, never shaming, and never cruel. Jesus is our true shepherd who gives us abundant and eternal life, even at the cost of his own life. You see, Jesus is the true shepherd that we all long for and the shepherd that we have for those of us who believe and trust in him as our savior and shepherd. Now in 1 Peter chapter 5, while Pete, the apostle Peter was addressing the pastors and the elders of the church, Peter said that Jesus is the chief shepherd. That is so crucially important. Do you know what that means? If Jesus is the chief shepherd, that means that every pastor and every elder is an under-shepherd. To Jesus. And that means that every pastor and every elder is called to represent and to reflect Jesus, the chief shepherd, to their churches. As under-shepherds of Jesus, pastors and elders are to shepherd the church under the authority of Jesus. You see, Jesus, the chief shepherd, is the model and the guide for all pastors and elders. And how Jesus, the chief shepherd, used his authority and power is how his under-shepherds are to use their authority and power that has been delegated to them, entrusted to them by Jesus, the chief shepherd. So how did Jesus use his authority and his power? If you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus used his authority and power to bless, to serve, to heal, to encourage, to defend the powerless, to restore, to show compassion, and to gently correct. In other words, Jesus used his authority and power to love people for their benefit, for their well-being and flourishing spiritually and physically. And that means, friends, that the only legitimate way for pastors and elders to use their delegated authority and power is the way that Jesus used it, which is to bless, to serve, to heal, to encourage, to defend the powerless, to restore, to show compassion, and to gently correct. The only legitimate way for pastors and elders to use their power is to love people, for their well-being and their flourishing as image bearers of God. You see, Jesus delegated and entrusted his authority and power to pastors and elders for one reason only. And that reason is to love and to serve the people of Jesus in the name of Jesus, in the way and manner of Jesus, and for the glory of Jesus. Let me say that again. It's so important. 
pastors and elders are delegated authority and power from Jesus for one purpose. That is to love and to serve the people of Jesus in the name of Jesus, in the way and manner of Jesus, and for the glory of Jesus. That's the only reason why Jesus, the chief shepherd, has entrusted power and authority to his under-shepherds. And when and any time a pastor or, or an elder uses their authority and power in ways that do not reflect the heart or the character or the purposes of Jesus, in ways that harm uh, and injure the people of Jesus, they have misused and abused their authority and they, are dis and they have disobeyed and dishonored Jesus, the chief shepherd. And when that happens, they must be held accountable must be. They must either be brought to humble confession and repentance and restored, or if they do not confess, if they do not repent, then they must be removed from their office for the sake of the church and for the honor of Christ. As a church, we must never, ever sweep it under the rug if spiritual abuse happens. And pretend like it didn't happen. As if it's just an inconvenience that we have to get over. We must never do that. Because if we do, we harm both the victims of abuse and the perpetrators of abuse. It harms everybody when we do that. Now the key to resisting spiritual abuse is found in verse 5. It says this. Clothe yourselves, all of you with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Everyone in the church, pastors, elders, members, everyone in the church is to clothe themselves with humility toward one another. Do you know what that means? Yes, members are to clothe themselves with humility toward their pastors and elders. And also at the same time, pastors and elders are to clothe ourselves with humility toward our members. You see, when pastors and elders are truly humble toward their members, they cannot and they will not spiritually abuse them. Spiritual abuse always begins with pride. You see, when pastors and elders begin uh, to get proud toward their members, when they begin to consider themselves uh, better, smarter, wiser, more strategic, more spiritually mature, more gifted, more needed, more important, more hardworking, more whatever you want to call it, when they begin to think that they're in some way superior to the members of the church, and when they begin to fail to see that the members of the church are precious image bearers of God, and when leaders uh, fail to clothe themselves with humility, that's when spiritual abuse not only becomes likely, possible, but also likely. It's just a matter of time, a matter of degree. See, wherever you find spiritual abuse, you will always find that pride is the rotten root of that spiritual abuse. God opposes the proud, especially proud pastors, proud elders. God opposes them, but God gives grace to the humble. In church, we resist spiritual abuse by remembering the gospel. The gospel says that Jesus, our 
chief shepherd, clothe himself with humility toward us. To clothe yourself with humility uh, means to consider the needs and the interests of others before your own. And isn't that exactly what Jesus did? Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And why did Jesus do all of that? He did it for us, for our salvation. Because Jesus put our salvation ahead of his own life. That's why we're saved. Because Jesus clothed himself with humility toward us. And because Jesus did that, because Jesus put our needs ahead of his own, we now who follow Jesus can clothe ourselves with humility toward one another and consider one another's needs and interests before our own. Do you know what spiritual abuse is? Spiritual abuse is me using my power uh, to put my needs ahead of yours for my benefit. Humility is me using my power to put your needs ahead of mine for your benefit. That's what Jesus did. Jesus walked in humility, and he calls all of his followers, especially his under-shepherds, to walk in humility as well. Uh, Diane Langberg, in her excellent book, Redeeming Power, said this, Humility is the mark of Christ. It is the way of power used rightly. It is godlike to serve in humility. He who sits on the throne was the servant of all while here and on the throne. He continues to serve us by his spirit. We must know him well and deeply if his work is to be accomplished. So uh, let me wrap this up. I've gone a little long. Um, it's because of Jean. She took some of my time. So indulge me a little bit. Over the next two weeks, we're going to consider seven priorities and practices that we can and I think we must pursue as a church so that we can cultivate a culture of goodness, a culture where we are good and kind to one another, a culture where, uh, that not only resists spiritual abuse, but a culture that encourages and promotes Christ-likeness in each and every one of us. You see, when a church as a whole, is being conformed into the beautiful likeness of Christ, spiritual abuse cannot happen. It won't happen. Uh, to be honest, uh, this series has been very hard and humbling for me to prepare. Um, it's, in fact, one of the hardest series I've ever prepared. Uh, that's because I'm realizing that I have so much to unlearn so much I have to change my mind about when it comes to pastoral leadership in the church. Um, I'm in my 50s. That means I'm a Gen Xer. And that means I have learned and adopted a view of leadership in the church that I am now recently uh, being told is toxic and spiritually abusive. Honestly, uh, for those of you who are, about, who are my age, uh, you know this to be true. The words toxic and spiritually abusive were not words or, co or concepts that I grew up with. I feel like they just kind of came onto the scene like 10 years ago, right? It, it just feels so new uh, to me, right? And, and, whatever, and what I used to once think was tough, strong, courageous leadership, I'm now being told is toxic, 
spiritually abusive and compassionless leadership. And I'm like, what? What happened? Who changed the rules of the game? And then I feel like a, a dinosaur that's kind of being phased out because the way my generation used to do things is now toxic. And when I used to attend pastors' training conferences back in the day as a young pastor, I was told, I learned that to be an effective pastor, you needed certain qualities and characteristics. An effective pastor was visionary, strong, strategic, articulate, passionate, right? Uh, they took kingdom risks. They made tough decisions. Even if it hurt people's feelings, they weren't afraid to disappoint people and said, that's a true leader. That's an effective leader. And I remember thinking, that sounds right. Right? Sounds good to me because I want to be an effective leader. And honestly, at those conferences, I don't really remember People talking about pastors needing to be humble, gentle, kind, patient, and compassionate. I don't know why. Maybe it was because it was assumed because those are the fruit of the Spirit. But I can tell you this, they were not emphasized. What was emphasized was the pastor's competencies more than his character. Now, let me say this. The two sets of qualities are not mutually exclusive. They can coexist, okay? I'm telling you, they can coexist. But the functional emphasis on a pastor's competencies was far more evident uh, than his character. And honestly, it made it easy for pastors, me included, to focus on what? I wanted to be an effective pastor more than I wanted to be a Christ-like pastor. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. As a pastor, people tend to praise you per, for producing results in your ministry not for producing the fruit of the Spirit in your life. I want you to think about that. We all are part of the problem. Because what you praise, what you want in your pastors, is fruitfulness. And if that's the case, we want to give you what you want. And we'll try to be fruitful, even if we have to force our way to get fruitful. All that to say, I have a lot to unlearn a lot to deconstruct and a lot to repent of because I have to like rethink what it means to be a pastor. And I think some of you need to rethink and unlearn some of the things that you expect or maybe want from your pastors. My hope and prayer is that we as a church family can begin to pursue the things that really matter to the heart of Jesus. For us as a church to remember and to believe that what we are becoming as a church matters so much more to Jesus than what we are accomplishing as a church. Let me say that again. What we are becoming as a church matters more to Jesus than what we are accomplishing as a church. So Christ Central family, let's focus on the right things. Um, things that will cultivate a culture of goodness and kindness at our church. A culture that not only resists spiritual abuse, but a culture that promotes beautiful Christ-likeness in every member of our church family, from the pastors to the elders to all the members. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, um, 
as we sit here in your presence, as we remember how good and how kind you have been to us in Christ. Oh, would you help us now to be good and kind to one another? The way you've been to us in Jesus. So that at our church, people would not experience spiritual abuse, but they might experience the healing, the compassion, the kindness, and the gentleness of the Savior of sinners. And that we might grow in his likeness. That we might grow in our faith, hope, and love. So that we might honor you, Jesus, by resembling you more and more as a church. In your name we pray. Amen. Please rise as we respond to the Lord.